Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. And who better to have on a chapter where we break down (laughs) specific details about an instrument being used than Jen. Hello. Um, For those that are just joining us on this episode... Uh, go back to, I think it was Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw yes. in Prisoner of Azkaban. We broke down brooms and yes. how do you have broom regulations and mm-hmm. shouldn't there be like a standardized broom yes. to make competition fair? Well, now we have the weighing of the wands. So um, <laughs> anyway, before we get into the actual chapter, I just want to shout out uh, once again, um, Maria T at Maria Tadoja underscore. Um, who literally moments before we're recording this podcast uh, tonight gave us a really nice tweet saying that she's restarting her favorite podcast, which is us, um, from the start. And she posted a picture of her listening to Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 1. So uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. Uh, All of your support. And everybody else who's listening. I think we were just heard in Namibia, too, for the first time. Oh, that's exciting. Which is exciting. And we've officially been heard in all 50 states. Nice. Which is awesome. So uh, thank you for everybody listening. Um, it's, it's a little overwhelming in a positive way for all of the support. Uh, we do have another shout out to make, but that will be to the spoiler section because he commented with some spoilers. <laughs> so we'll wait on that for a second. But uh, anyway, going on to chapter 18. Uh, essentially, it's... Harry dealing with a lot of the emotions and uh, blowback from being selected as champion uh, throughout the chapter. Some some trio drama that we have, and we get the whole weighing of the wands. And I don't want to call it a ceremony. It's almost like a signing day. If you watch like uh, yes. athletes on their signing day when they commit to a university, they have like a table put out <laughs> and the whole thing, and there's photographers. But anyway, uh, so we have that. Uh, we meet a new character. We've heard of her, but now we meet her for the first time, uh, which is an experience, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, we'll have a, a very interesting spoiler section conversation, too. So the first thing that I thought of is Harry wakes up <laughs> from trying to get to sleep. I don't think I would have been able to sleep in the first place. No. I, I'm picked as champion. Yes. I get told all of the stuff about the first task. I would be so anxiety-ridden. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't sleep at all. There is no way that I would be able to sleep. I would be so stuck on wondering what tasks I'm going to have to deal with. And Mm -hmm. then also just stuck on the mystery of why am I in this position? How did this happen? It'd be tough between, like, the danger of it Mm -hmm. and then the idea that clearly my best friend is not happy with me at the moment. It's like you, your number of outlets is now disappearing, and yes. you, you figure you're not going to have a whole lot of support here, even at Hogwarts, um, which during this chapter you find out a lot. That led me to one of my patented 
random thoughts. Yes. Harry just wakes up and assumes Ron went to breakfast, which means breakfast is going on, mm-hmm. which means it's the morning. <laughs> How many people just randomly wake up in the morning? How many people use alarms? I use an alarm, and then I have like five snoozes. Yes. How do they wake up in the morning? I am not a morning person. Same. At all. And uh, I used to have to get up very early to get to work by 7. So I used to have to get up at like 5.30 every morning. And that was miserable. And I had probably four or five alarms. I don't think that there's ever been a time in my life where I've had less than, we'll say, three alarms at any given point. This is the other thing, though, that that I also... Wizarding World does not have this distraction. But I'm always on my phone at night. Oh, yeah, And then when I roll, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I check my phone. And that's not good. You're not supposed to do that as a habit. I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, so, like, that Mm -hmm. also kind of plays into, you know, your sleep patterns and stuff. But I'm just, I'm naturally a night owl. There is zero chance... I would ever be able to... I don't wake up before my alarm when my alarm is for 11. Yeah, I no, I could sleep right yes, through that. Like, yeah, if, if I have a day where I know I get to sleep in and I don't have anything planned... Yes. And let's say I was particularly night owlish the night before. Staying up fairly late. I yeah. could probably sleep to like 1 yes. fairly easily. Yeah. Uh, so there's got to be kids here that are not morning people. So that led me to my next, to, to kind my of random riff thought on led that. You to something? Your random thought led me to a random thought. That's so we're talking, first. we're talking about alarms. What kind of wizarding alarms do you think that they have? <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> the first thing I thought of was like, you know how the stereotypical alarm sound is like a rooster? Yeah. Do they have some magical creature that would substitute in? Oh, that would be neat. If like know. Hogwarts has like a whatever the magical version of this rooster is, like, on the ground. That would be such a nice way to wake up in the morning. You think Like, you're that. in a Gryffindor tower, and you, you hear, that. like, an animal. Until you get an owl screeching in your ear, and, and you're I like, answer. wow, that's a shrill way to, like, wake up. <laughs> well, I'm imagining, like, they're down on the ground somewhere, not, like, you know. You're just, like, casually waking up. You hear this thing, like, far, far away. It's not, like, right in your ear. Now I'm thinking of, like, sounds of the Forbidden Forest. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... That's going to sleep music, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Hagrid probably would have that. Oh, definitely. The sounds of the Forbidden Forest playing in the background. Definitely. Oh, man. Wow. You got sidetracked very early on. I know. That's I love it. That's my fault. That's this, totally my fault. That's a good sign, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great sign. Oh, I hope you all enjoy my random side tangents. Uh, okay. So, the, one of the big notes that I had from this chapter is Hermione is everything. She is just heads above the most mature of the trio. And this this really showcases that. Yes. What a friend to not only just, like, bring breakfast to you, which is just a friendly, nice thing to do anyway. Right. But the wherewithal to understand that he, my friend, does not want to come to the Great Hall and get just bombarded yes. by all of these students. So... Let's just go out for a walk. I'll bring him some toast. We can eat while we walk the grounds and kind of get away from it all for a little bit. I'm like, oh, what a clutch thing for a friend to do. Do you think that she does it if Ron's not mad? Or do you think that Ron is, like, the overriding factor to do it? Uh, I think she would I think she would still do this. Okay. Or at least suggest it. But I think Ron would also be there yeah. to do it. <laughs> Instead of just those two 
But yeah, I think she still recognizes that Harry does not want or need all of this extra attention. Yeah. Uh, which Ron doesn't exactly understand. <laughs> he, th- he thinks he's... Uh, he Ron thinks Harry's all about this attention. Uh, which leads into the, the trio drama that we get. Uh, and we've, we've talked a little bit about how in previous books it's been maybe Hermione on the outer edge of the Ron-Harry friendship and now we get a little insight of what Harry and Hermione's friendship really looks like. <laughs> what Hermione has to do as far as carrying the load between both of them uh, on a maturity <laughs> level. I think it's pretty commendable of her to take the... she. I think that she handles being in the middle in this chapter very well. She handles it with a lot of grace. It might not have been easy, but especially because, I mean, knowing Ron, he seems like the type of person to be a bit out of sorts if Hermione is hanging out with Harry over him. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Harry would handle that a little bit more maturely. Yep. Um, I don't think that Ron necessarily would. So she's, she, she's in a very awkward situation, but I think that she does try to make it even between the two of them. And I think that that's a really hard thing to do. It's an incredibly hard and awkward thing to do. Oh, very awkward. But here's my problem with Ron and Harry is coming from a guy's perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and you can comment on, on how the girl side of this would be, but from a guy's perspective, if I've had a problem with one of my male friends, mm-hmm. I usually just deal with it in a more direct way. Like, okay. hey, you're upset with me. What's the deal? Let's figure this out. Let's get this ironed out now. Like, it's a more, I don't want to say aggressive or head-on or maybe blunt way of dealing with it. Yeah. But I feel like, in my experience, many of the male confrontations that I've seen have been generally more blunt. Let's face it, head-on deal with it now i feel like this is a weird way of dealing with it okay in the passive aggressive i know this is like really early on yeah which i get maybe space is good early and then confront head on but i feel like this is a very passive way of dealing with it which is odd especially for two 14 year old boys i so i would i would say that um my so what I have seen of guys who have had some sort of conflict with other guys is that it's one of two approaches. It's either the like you're gonna bluntly talk to them about it and like be proactive to try to fix it, or you're just going to let it go. Yeah. Like it doesn't really in a lot of the situations that I have seen, if it's between two people who are genuinely friends and not just like colleagues or something sure. like that. Um, it doesn't seem when it's guys to really go a long time. It, it seems very like either either you're you're talking about it to try to confront it right away, or you're just kind of, you know what, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, and I've you know we're we're good friends past this, so I'm gonna be mad about it for a little bit, and then I'm just gonna move on. This is a much more, this is written I think much in my experience of how girls fight. This is written like a like how my fights would go in high school where you get into it with someone and there's there's a lot of emotion on both sides 
and you're not really thinking about long term, I guess, in this, or like taking a step back to look at the friendship as a whole, and 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 really, you're you're much more stuck in the moment with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that because they don't really deal with anything other than the emotions of what they're feeling at the time, there's not really they don't it takes them longer to get to the resolution part of it yeah i think you hit it right on the head with the whole you ex- explode yeah or you just get over it and i think even if you explode you also then quickly get over it it's like you have a f- again based on my experiences you i've had friends especially in my youth when i was 14 and a little bit more hot-headed than i am now uh, in my advanced age. <laughs> so uh, old. Yeah. Uh, but when I was younger and a little bit more hot-headed and not as, you know, calm and reasonable, you'd have a fight with a friend, maybe in a, even a physical fight, maybe some blows were thrown. But those blows are thrown, and then you're like, uh, you want to go play some baseball? <laughs> like, it, it's done. Yeah. Like, you have your moment, and it's done, and you move on. Yeah. This just seems like an odd way of handling it for me. I, I think the thing that also makes it difficult with this... Not that, advocating fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the thing that also makes it difficult with this, with with respect to the situation that they're in, is that Harry takes it very personally. Like, Ron takes it personally to a degree, and it's a manifestation of just his jealousy and his insecurity about where he stands in life and, and things like that. But Harry, who... I don't know if I would say Harry's the calmer of the two, but he seems, I guess it depends on this scenario. But in this case, he takes it very personally. He feels very attacked by it. And I don't know if maybe that's the difference here of like, I don't know the extent to which the fights that you've had, you've you've have been attacked at something that you consider to be a very, very sore spot. Mm-hmm. And then immediately turning around and forgiving and fighting or confronting and then moving on with that person. But I feel like Harry being in a kind of stunted emotional place to begin with is just not going to have the necessary tools to cope with this. See, so to me, uh, if I'm feeling that way, that would make it more likely that I would go and confront Ron and be like, dude, what is going on? Like, let's figure this out now. See, for me, I go the opposite way. I would react more like Harry in this kind of, I mean, or Ron, depending on what side of the position I'm in, but, like, if it's something where it's, like, it feels very personal to me, it's incredibly difficult for me to talk about it with the other person. Like, I need time. I need to figure out exactly how to phrase it so I'm not making the situation worse. Like, it's a a disaster. I think Harry being so offended by this is very justified. Yeah. So, this topic matter, obviously, carries on past this chapter. Uh, we kind of went, went down a little bit of a rabbit yeah. hole there, too. Um, two for two on tangents. Yeah. Uh, that one's a little bit more on point but, yeah. than the first one was. I don't know. I like uh, wizarding alarm clocks. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I'm here for. Uh, Hermione does also suggest the, per her usual, the, the logical thing to do, which is, you know, maybe you should write to Sirius. Uh, that might be a thing to do. Yes. And, you know, Harry fights back and was like, hey... Uh, he almost came here based on my scar hurting. What's he going to do with this? Yeah. And she's like, he's going to find out about this one way or the other. Probably best coming from you. He's probably already found out about it, and it's on his way. Like, 
think for a second. You're Harry Potter. This is the Triwizard Tournament. Come on. I love that Harry's like, well, maybe we just won't tell him. And Hermione's like, you are a famous wizard in a famous tournament. Yeah. They are going to know. And not his brightest moment, no. but he's emotionally compromised. So yeah. we'll let that one slide. He's having a rough morning. He's having a rough 48 hours. Uh, 24, 48 hours. <laughs> so, um, so, so literally, this is all happening within the, the 24 hours of him getting selected. Now we get through the weekend, and we're back to classes. And it goes essentially exactly how he thought this was going to go. Yeah. Uh, he can't avoid students anymore. And the first one off the bat was Herbology with the Hufflepuffs. And he was expecting some Hufflepuff blowback, since obviously the other champion is a Hufflepuff, Cedric yeah. Diggory. So he's expecting all of the Hufflepuffs to support Cedric, as they should. Yes. That's fine. Um, he did notice that Ernie McMillan and Justin Finchflush, they were a little a little bit more antagonistic towards him than usual. Um, that's all right. Hagrid, uh, well, then he has to go to Hagrid's and do uh, Care of Magical Creatures with the Slytherins, which, again, knew was probably not going to go his way. Yeah. Uh, but Hagrid being a true bro. <laughs> I love that we get notes for these. Dan, like, will type up outlines for yep. this, and one of his points on this is literally... Hagrid is a true bro for life. True bro for life. I was upset that you didn't put the number four and then spell life with a Y, you know, but... <laughs> I, I thought about the four. <laughs> I did not think about the Y in life, though. So. Uh, but no, Hagrid is a, a true ride and die. Yeah. Like, he is right there for you all the time, because he just assumed, like, okay, who do you think put your name in? And Harry's like, wait, you don't think I did? He's like, no, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, that seems stupid. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What did, you, what did you think about the whole Hagrid moment right there? I thought it was really nice. I thought this is another good example of uh, having an adult in Harry's corner that he's just not used to. But I think it's good that Hagrid is someone that he can go to and talk to and trusts and also trusts him back. It's like the first real positive relationship with an adult that he's forged in his life. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's nice to see that continuing and that Hagrid does, you know, trust him. I also like how Hagrid completely interrupted Draco just giving it to Harry constantly. Yeah. By saying that they're going to have to go walk the blast-ended scroots like a dog. I love that. And as focused as Draco was of making Harry's life the worst, completely flew his mind when he's now got to walk this three foot long and honestly Draco has a great valid question of where do we exactly put the leash around yeah. the stinger around the sucker like, <laughs> where are we doing this so, I really enjoy Draco's hatred of caring magical creatures is that something you empathize with you'd be like yeah uh probably yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be digging that class? I don't think I would be digging that class. Because of Hagrid as the teacher or just the subject matter? Purely the subject matter. Fair enough. See, I I would be in the camp of I would enjoy the class. I would love the class. Yeah. As much as I love Hagrid, and I love Hagrid. Yeah. I'd probably need a different teacher. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So, anyway. He's like, he's a, he's a teacher for, he's not a good teacher, but you like him as a person. Like, mm -hmm. I've definitely had classes like that where it was like, you're not a really good professor, but, like, you're a good guy. Like, yeah. I, I feel for you. Yeah, I'd be doing a lot of my best Hermione impressions by going to the library and trying to learn a little bit more on my own. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm probably not 
getting enough of it in class, but yeah. anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> so in the whole uh, Slytherin teasing Harry, we get the unveiling of these new badges. And for a fleeting moment, Harry believed they were spew badges, S-P-E-W badges. Uh, they were not. They are support Cedric Diggory badges that when you press them, or sorry, they said support Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. And then when you press them into your chest, it would switch to Potter Stinks, <laughs> which Hermione says is super witty. Honestly, not the bur- not the worst, like, you know, teenager prank, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. I think this is the best that they got away with. Yeah. That they're like, we could, we could probably sneak this through. Yeah. Especially in uh, Snape's class. But before we get into Snape's class. Yes. We have another Cedric Diggory knock at some point. Yes. And it's another, the only thing about it, or sorry, not another knock. It was just a mention of how handsome Cedric Diggory is. And I think this, this one came from Harry himself, right? Because he passed him in a hallway. Yeah. And there was a bunch of girls following Cedric, kind of like they were doing the crumb earlier. Yeah. And Harry just notes, like, oh, he is pretty handsome. He's got the dark hair, the gray eyes, straight nose. And I'm like, straight nose? That seems like an odd thing to comment on. That was an odd descriptor to throw in there. So do most boys at Hogwarts have crooked noses? Maybe it was just to contrast it with Crumb. Maybe. I don't know. That just seems like a... Maybe it was to contrast it with Crumb. That was the only thing that I could think of when I read it. Because they do make a point of saying that he's got... A crooked, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. All I'm saying is, Harry points out Karkaroff's chin when he first sees him. (laughs) And now he's pointing out Cedric's straight nose. Facial features, I guess, are a thing to Harry. I don't know. (laughs) It just caught me off guard. It's like, that's a weird thing to say. Like, dark hair, okay, gray eyes, cool. Yeah. Straight nose. Dark dark hair and gray eyes are are much more commonly remarked upon for attractiveness than, like, the straightness of your nose. I'm I'm about to put you on the spot, Jen. All right. Have you ever, ever seen a guy and gone, wow, he's got a straight nose? I have not. Fair enough. All right. I don't man. even have to really think about that one. I, I really don't think about noses that much. All right. Well, there you have it. <laughs> okay. So, obviously, the Hufflepuffs support Cedric. Yes. And obviously, the Slytherins hate Harry. Yes. But if Harry was not involved, mm-hmm. and we still had your three actual champions, yeah. would Slytherin support Cedric the way that they're doing now? Of course not. What do you think they'd do otherwise? Would they just pull so, him down and put up his or their Warrington as like Yeah. So it would be Cedric Stinks, Warrington for champion or something like that? I don't think that they would necessarily go around and say like Cedric Stinks, but I think that they would just be constantly sulking about the fact that Warrington didn't get picked and Cedric did. So you think they'd just be like a muted non support, yeah. non hate, just like a Yeah. Sullen like meh. I think that when the tasks happen, they'll sit with the other Hogwarts houses and they'll cheer politely for Cedric and they will make comments amongst themselves like, you know, Warrington would have done it faster or so-and-so could have done it smarter or like, they would be like snipey about it. Fair enough. I think. I think the only way that they would get really into it and really excited is if one of their own got selected. Okay, yeah, I can totally see that. I I would just, I don't know. 
I this is my Cedric bias coming through, and this is full on Cedric bias. <laughs> yeah. This I'll admit. <laughs> but I would like to think that Cedric would maybe they would have start with that. Yeah. And then they'd see Cedric actually participate. Yeah. And go, okay, that was pretty good. I admire your optimism. I know. I that I, again, full bias coming through <laughs> yeah. there. No objectivity. Um, if it makes you feel better, I think Ravenclaw and Gryffindor would be a hundred percent behind Cedric, and they'd be like wearing probably. like Raven or Hufflepuff colors, and they'd be like you know cheering and making signs and stuff. So you'd get three quarters of the school united by him. I'm just picturing all of the girls, no matter what house, like screaming like it's a. <laughs> Jonas Brothers concert or something like that, you know, where it's just like abject yeah. screaming yeah. all the time every time he moves. Anyway, uh, that's just because that's what you would be doing if you were there. Me yeah. personally? Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> no shame. Uh, so uh, then we get to uh, the beginning of Snape's class because Harry, you know, is like, well, at least we have double potions to look forward to next. Yeah. Yeah. He's having a great week. He's having a great start to the week. It's, you yeah. know, the typical Monday, you know. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he has potions with the Slytherins. And Malfoy is saying some stuff. And we eventually end up in a heated wand duel. And Harry uses... I'm going to try to pronounce this. Uh, Harry uses the spell Fernunculus. Yep. Sweet. Draco uses... Densaugio? I think. Okay, we're going with it. That one I'm less sure on. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, they both fire these spells at exactly the same time. They connect and ricochet, which Harry's spell hits Goyle, and Draco's spell hits Hermione, and causes... <laughs> this causes boils to appear over Goyle's nose. <laughs> As, Tongue twister. Yeah, say that ten times fast. All right. And then Draco's spell uh, causes elongated uh, teeth to appear in Hermione's mouth, which uh, she's described as having l larger teeth to begin with. So, But this is, like, aggressive. It's going, like, past her lip, past, past her chin. Past down. her collar. Yeah, this is aggressive. Which would send me into a bit of a panic. She sounds pretty calm when she's talking. Or, like, you know, she's trying to cover it up, but they're, like, still growing or whatever. But she's still standing around. If my teeth just started growing, I would be oh, looking I'd be gone. at me. Yep. I wouldn't be hanging around to wait for Snape to come and telling him what happened. I would be, I'd be gone. I have one thing I want to throw in here real quick, because I know that uh, J.K. Rowling likes to use Latin to create the spells. Mm -hmm. So, out of curiosity, I looked up what these two meant in uh, Latin. I know one. I don't know the other one, though. Okay. I know the fernunculus one, just yeah. from anatomy and... Yeah. So I never knew that fernuncle meant boil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Didn't gross. I know that. It's real gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really yeah. gross. So I was like, hey, okay, that one's easy to do. And then uh, for the other one, dens means tooth and agio means increase. So literally increasing your teeth. Now that one I got off of the dailyprofit.net. So I want to give credit where credit is due on that one. Fair enough. Den makes sense. I would not have gotten agio, uh, I guess augment, but yeah, still that doesn't of... necessarily mean increase. Uh, it, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of... Eh. Like, yeah, I get it, but like I wouldn't have thought of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So Snape comes at the disturbance, 
and immediately they're pointing fingers at each other, and he's going to stop everyone and have Draco tell him what went on. Naturally. Naturally. And Jen has my actual note in here, uh, which we won't say on the podcast, but Snape is a jerk. Yes. Uh, His comment to Hermione after Ron says, like, look at what he did to Hermione, that's a jerk comment. From a teacher? I have thoughts on that, but I'm saving them for the spoilers. Okay. So essentially, he looks at Hermione with the teeth going past the collar and goes, I don't notice a difference. Which is just an awful thing to say. It's so mean. From, forget the fact that he's a teacher to a student, like an adult to a child. Like, man, there's no, grow up a little bit. There's no context in which it's appropriate. No, it's there's none. It's just straight out mean. It's, yeah, it's not, not great. No. Uh, so yeah. We, so And then she just bolts to the hospital wing, as she should. Yeah. Uh, and I am assuming Goyle also goes up to the hospital wing. And then you get the class to actually start, and they're going over antidotes. They were supposed to prep antidotes over the weekend, and Snape says he's actually going to test the antidotes on one of them. And then Harry gets called to the actual, the actual weighing of the wands. Do you think Snape was actually going to poison one of them? Yes. Wow, that was a quick yes. I wrote that on my notes. I just wrote yes. Quick yes. Just yes. So no, no like threat and then like, oh, whatever, maybe a toad. No. Just straight up. Okay. I don't trust Snape. I think he would do it just because he can. And then if the antidotes didn't work, he'd create his own and then save. Like, I don't think he's going to let anyone die. Sure, yeah. But I really do feel like he would do it. Hogwarts is a fun... Just a fun, fantastic school to go to, isn't it? You know, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. So again, you know, I brought up on the last episode, what's what's worse, Trelawney predicting your death, yes, or Moody literally putting unforgivable curses on students. And then you have here, if you truly believe Snape is about to poison a student, yeah, Trelawney <laughs> predicting death. Or Snape actually poisoning well, a student. Yes. <laughs> like. In obviously, all of these things don't feel helpful in a curriculum sense. Like, none of those of three things feels, are great. No. Um, but if you had to ask my opinion on that, I think Moody doing the three curses is the least of them. I think Trelawney's in the middle, and I think Snape is like you shouldn't be po- actively poisoning your students. That just seems like a bad idea. It seems a little wrong. Seems a little unethical. But I mean, the Imperious curse being put on them, not great. I think that that at least had some sort of practical application to where it. I, like I do understand the thought process behind it is helpful to know what it feels like so that you can like get used to it and maybe attempt to be able to throw it off. Like the first time that you get. Imperious, you don't want it to be when you're fighting someone because mm-hmm. you're just going to be in a bad place. And we know that things are going to be bad, so we should be doing it. But Trelawney's just like predicting death just for like the drama of it. And it's like that's just not serving anything. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's like the, the act of it. Obviously, Trelawney predicting deaths isn't causing any harm, and the other one is, but the purpose behind it feels pointless. So I know we're getting sidetracked yet again. Uh, apologies. <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, I then have to ask, because we haven't gotten your opinion on this, which of the three unforgivable curses do you think is the worst? The torture one. The Cruciatus Curse? Cruciatus Curse. Any reasoning behind that? 
you are aware of what you're going through. You are the most aware of what you're going through. If you, it's a good take on it. If you get Avada Kedavra'd, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you're at least. I mean, obviously, you don't want to die, but you're not aware. There's no lingering. There's just you're out. So you're not dealing with the consequences of that curse. You get imperious. That's obviously also not great. I mean, none of them are great. I just keep repeating myself there. But if you get imperious, you're at least it's a pleasant feeling while you're getting controlled and like forced to do horrible things. So maybe that's more of like you also just kind of don't realize what's going on, and it's like you have to maybe reconcile that later if there is any sort of like leftover consciousness to it. The Cruciatus curse. You are you are aware, and you are in horrible horrible pain, and you can't do a single thing about it. You are just, it could probably feels like it's an eternity. It, it, yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's a very fair logical reasoning to it that I can't really say anything against. <laughs> um, so, uh, Anna and I thought that the Imperius Curse was the worst because okay. losing one's free will is, you know, that's yeah. all a person really has is yeah. like the ability to make their own choices and and you know who knows what that person ends up having you do could be like taking a bagel from a store could be something worse <laughs> you know yeah. it it could not be great so um i think that yeah. you could potentially have a lot of psychological things you have to deal with when that's over depending on how much of it you're able to remember but you also have the most fighting chance with that one should, out of the three we should really put this to a poll that would be a great idea. We should really put this to a poll. Yeah. And we will. Check out our Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Uh, okay. So we are running way long, and we still have two major things. Yeah. Uh, we get to the Wan Wang. Harry is taken out of class to Snape's dismay, and we uh, and he gets taken to this room where they have uh, Ludo Bagman, uh, photographer. You have Dumbledore. You have uh, the other champions. Mm-hmm. And you have... Rita Skeeter, who we've heard of giving Arthur uh, the business in a Daily Prophet article following the Quidditch World Cup. Yep. Uh, we get a description of her appearance, and the, really the thing that jumped out to me was the three gold teeth part of it. I have never... I've made a lot of <laughs> realizations, uh, like um, Dumbledore's boots that he... Like the buckled boots that he wore. I've never like envisioned him wearing buckled boots. Yeah. I've never envisioned Rita Skeeter with three gold teeth, like clearly visible three gold teeth. Yeah. Some of these things, like, I vaguely remember reading it. I've never pictured her with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit her personality to me. So some of these things, like, I remember reading and I'll just be like, huh. I just don't put it in my head canon. Yep. Like, I, you know, okay, she's got three gold teeth. It doesn't for a 43-year-old woman. It doesn't really fit. Like, that just feels weird. It was odd that the quill even did that. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But eventually Rita Skeeter drags Harry specifically into a broom cupboard of all places to do an interview. So bad. With a quick quotes quill. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the quill's magic is to liven up the conversation a little bit. Fancy writing, bigger words, more, uh, I guess, attractive wording maybe okay so i have a question about that yeah that's like a tangent to this whole thing sweet do you so i just i want to clarify this when i read about the quick 
quotes quill. And then she sucks on it to get it going. Mm -hmm. My impression of it was that it's taking on the style of the person who, like, uh, initiated initiated it. it. Or the person who's using it. And, like, that's what's being done when, when she has to suck on it to get it to start. Is it's, like, understanding her somehow. And then, like, it's writing... Her it's almost like her tongue to the paper. Yeah. it's That was kind of how I imagined it, because I was wondering, like, it's it's a very generically named quick quotes quill. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that every single one of them is as untruthful as the one that she uses. It's just, it's just punching up the language a little bit. I, there, I, mm, <laughs> there's punching up the language, and then yes. there's... Uh, well... I think undoubted, undoubtedly, there's definitely that definitely initiates the magic, like you said. Yeah. Like because they reference it again later in the chapter where she puts it to her mouth and then puts it on the paper. Right. So that definitely initiates the magic. Yeah. I do like the idea that it's literally her tongue to the paper. Yeah. And then it just goes. That was. Did you get? Do you get that impression when you have read it, or did you think it worked? I never honestly thought of it that way until you just mentioned it, which I totally buy. Okay, fair enough. That would make a lot of sense. So, yeah, I'm totally down with that. Uh, my, What I'm not totally down with yeah. <laughs> is the fact that Hogwarts is Hogwartsing mm-hmm. again. Yeah. In that you have, and I get that the other three champions are technically adults mm-hmm. being 17. Yeah. Young adults. They're very young adults. But there's... No media training whatsoever. <laughs> There's no adult supervision for any of these interviews. Yeah. What? Well, so my understanding of it was that this isn't actually an authorized interview. Like, this is Well, this particular something. one with Harry? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's really more... Like, my impression... Did she really talk to anyone else? Like, she just sits there... My impression is she's supposed to sit there and take notes on stuff. And instead, she just overpowers Harry and throws him into a broom closet. I mean, I like Dumbledore's hands-off approach with things, but like, I feel like maybe there should have been a little bit more structure to this thing. All right, you brought him up. So here's my issue. Dumbledore obviously finds him in the broom cupboard. Yes. And it's not particularly thrilled with Rita to begin with. Okay. His passive-aggressive wittiness? Yeah. Top-notch. Okay, so I had a note here, though. How do you read that interaction with him? Passive aggressive wittiness. Is he mad? Is he what? What? How do you think he's uh, feeling I, in this interaction? He dislikes Rita. Okay. With a great passion, he does not like Rita at all. Which I mean, he says she's written some. Um, uh, in, I forget his exact wording, but it's like flowery rudeness or whatever term he uses. Yeah. Uh, It's it's about as ironically he's better with words than the actual writer. He really is. Because he's taking her down but he's doing it in such a light way that either it's right over her head or she doesn't honestly care about the softness with he's doing it but I took it as complete enmity towards her i i read it in a very different way and i read it in that he 
he is being he is being passive aggressive and and he is being witty but i didn't read it in like a mean spirited way i read it in the way of like he knows that she's a fraud and he just doesn't care like he's mm. like she's so not on his radar that he's like yeah you were you know we can talk about your rudeness you know some other time but he's not really like oh he's definitely above it all yeah, yeah for like, sure i always imagine him just being very calm and just being like kind of smiling when he says it and just kind of like he's gonna go into the next room and he's just gonna ignore her because he just doesn't i don't think he really cares about what gets printed about him or said about yeah. him or no, i agree so with like, that. i just yeah so like it 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 never really registered as something where it's like yeah, I guess he is technically being passive aggressive, but I always read it in just a way of like he's just brushing her off. Yeah, he's. Uh, I agree with you know he's above it all, and he's probably not taking what she writes seriously. To heart. At yeah, all. right. Yeah. Uh, nor does he probably care what any others who may read her writing. Yeah. Think because he's Albus Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been there, done that, proven what he has to prove. It uh, doesn't mean he has to like her. <laughs> like, no, right. I I don't even yeah. think that... I, I guess that's the difference. I just I don't even think he doesn't like her. I just think he doesn't care. And I think that's arguably, like, a lower way to even think of it than, like... Well, that's... Disliking her. To, to throw this back at you is... Why is she there? Like, if Dumbledore clearly knows what kind of writing she does... Yeah. I'm sure she's not the only writer at the Daily Prophet. Could yes. no one else have gotten this? You're the headman. You banished Dementors from the from the school grounds. Yes. You can't get this lady off the. That's the exactly. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's her. It. Oh. Okay. This is going to get into a deeper conversation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I want to do this now or in spoilers, but <laughs> he doesn't care because whatever she writes about him. Yeah. Whatever. I'm Albus Dumbledore. Yeah. It's not just him though. It's. Harry, it's the kids, it's his, you know, it's his staff if she decides to do something there, it's the school if she, you know, he, it's not just him. His, one of his most prominent character traits is that he always looks at the bigger picture. Okay. And I think that this is another one of those scenarios. I think that he's looking at the larger picture of what she writes doesn't matter. If people read it and they believe her, that's their problem. And he's not thinking about the impact that it would have on the students themselves. There. That that last bit that you just said yeah. I think is the key to it. Yes. <laughs> like, but we can go into a deeper discussion as to whether or not that's problematic. Oh, it definitely is point. problematic. <laughs> I, see, I have... I have uh, we can, we can right. uh, talk about that one later. We're going along. <laughs> and we still have the actual one wing. So... Uh, <laughs> They bring in an expert. They bring in Ollivander to actually do the weighing of the wands. What is the weighing of the wands? It's to ensure that the wands are fully functioning, don't have any issues with them that would present dangers to either the things that are in the tasks or the actual champions themselves or the people, I guess, watching. Uh, so we get into the specifics because Jen and I are specifics people. So <laughs> floor, uh, nine and a half inches, inflexible rosewood, and a hair from Avila, which happens to be her grandmother. So cute. Uh, I, I like how Ollivander's like, okay, yeah, nine and a half inches and flexible rose. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is interesting. Yep. Uh, and he does note that 
he doesn't use Vila hair because they tend to make temperamental wands. Yes. Uh, which I thought Floor would come back with a snippy, snarky comment about it. Yeah. Like, how dare you say something, A, about my grandmother, and B, about the wand itself. But, yeah. Anyway, she didn't, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, so you get Cedric, uh, 12 and a quarter inches, springy, ash, and unicorn hair, which Ollivander goes into this tale of heroism as he plucked the <laughs> hair from the unicorn. Like, wow. I love that. Uh, dude, go for it. Um, and then Crumbs, uh, he notes is a Grigorovich creation, uh, and he gives respect to Grigorovich as a solid wand maker, just not into the style, blah, 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 and then he tails off, and he's like, oh, yeah. He starts to throw him a little bit under a little the shape. bus, and then he's like, all right, fine. Yeah, getting on with it. Ten and a quarter inches, dragon heartstring, hornbeam? That's a new one to me, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and noticeably thicker than the average wand. Yes. Which is interesting, and then we obviously know Harry's. So, yeah, and then he basically does a spell with each of these wands, including throwing wine all over the floor. Does someone have to clean that up? Is it just Dumbledore with a little, like, flick of his wrist? I don't know. They just magic it away. I guess, but it's just like, wow, did you really have to create that much of a mess? You got nice flowers for floor, you couldn't just, like... That was such a cute little spell. Here's a bouquet of flowers. It, It also struck me as very, like, corny magician. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the magic wands that just puffs the flowers at the end. uh, Just made me laugh. But, um, yeah, any thoughts on the actual weighing of the wands? Uh, I thought it was was an interesting scene. I feel like there's something to be said for the wands also being representative of the people that they're attached to, which was a theme earlier on in Sorcerer's Stone where they're saying the wand chooses the wizard. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that there were things that were... Like in the, I was I was kind of trying to pick this out because it, it struck me more for Fleur necessarily than it did the other two. But I feel like there are kind of things where you can see the qualities of the wand being a little bit reflective of the owners as well. Mm-hmm. Fleur is temperamental. It could be something that's related to being a Vila, or it could be just that she's a temperamental person, and that's why that particular wand works for her. Well, we've also seen Vila themselves be. Specifically temperamental, temperamental as well, yeah. So that could be playing into it, obviously. The um, that was interesting that he says that it's inflexible. You know, I think it nods to her toughness. Yes, like she looks very beautiful, but she's got a little bit of a tough streak. She can be very stubborn, I feel. So like that kind of fits into that. Cedric's, I don't know how to... Springy, ash, unicorn hair. Uh, to me, if we're going with the predominant feature of Cedric is apparently his looks. Unicorn. Unicorn kind of fits being very, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Crumbs, I thought it was interesting that they described it as being thick because he's also been kind of described as like... he. They haven't described him as bulky, but kind of the way that they describe him in my mind feels analogous Are to thick. Are you thinking like thick the, as in... Because we, we know he's a very slender bird-like build. Right. But are you thinking thick as, like, maybe he's not the smartest or the brightest bulb in the box? We see a little bit of that. Um, and then they're also, uh, when I picture him based on the description where he's walking and he's slouched over and he's duck-footed, I don't really imagine someone who's very, like, springy or uh, flexible or quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, you know, like, thick can also be, like, a... In my mind, I equate it to also kind of being slow. He moves, at least on the ground, probably somewhat slow, based on how they described him walking. I don't know. Like, that kind of all fits together for me. Okay. 
And then I do have a question about Harry's wand, but I'll save that for the spoilers. I actually have a comment on that as well. Okay. Which is awesome spoilers. So Perfect. We'll get more into Harry's wand in the spoiler section. One other thought on this, because I know that they said that it's to you know, making sure all of the wands are fully functional. Mm -hmm. Is it also possible that part of why they're doing this, they're just not saying it, is it's taking a baseline of the wand so that if they do anything to the wand to try to, I don't know if you can enchant wands or cheat with wands or do something that they have a baseline of comparison? To that point, I would say maybe tampered with. Yeah, sure. Because maybe they like know, okay, this is the wand, this is your wand, this is the wand that you're intending to use. It's scuffed up it's not scuffed up it's in perfect condition it is whatever it is yeah this is it so if it's tampered with in any way maybe it's easier to and now you have a wand expert actually looking at the wand who can then yeah decipher any of that sure i think that's part of it yeah because yeah. that was just also something that they they don't say it with this but it, with having a sports trying to apply a sports perspective to this mm-hmm. that would also be something that i feel like would be you know you'd like a weigh-in before a boxing match or yeah exactly steroid test or something where they're just they're getting a baseline somewhere and then they're gonna go off of it so let me ask you this do you think type of wand has any actual like we talked about before like we talked about brooms mm-hmm. and how the nimbus 2000 might be better than a clean sweep five and that's inherently unfair yeah do you think there's any like advantage to be had here potentially i would say not necessarily in the wands themselves but maybe in how the wands relate to uh the competitors for example like floor having a part of her family in right. the wand. like i could see that giving her a slight advantage if the wand is more has more of a, a bent towards helping her okay if it's something that connects her to the wand then that makes that wand that strengthens the bond that they have the wand is more likely more could be more powerful could be more likely to you know push itself if it's for you know because we know the wands kind of have a mind of their own the wand chooses the wizard exactly so i i I, so i do agree with that i feel like there could be something analogous here with that fair enough but i also don't know how to regulate that one (laughs) that one's much more ambiguous fair enough we've gone way long but the last bit of this chapter is Harry gets a response from Sirius which Ron tells him about begrudgingly and the letter essentially sets up a time a day and a time Mm -hmm. uh, for Sirius and Harry to talk uh, face to face if you will yeah in a way and that's just essentially setting up the meeting and then that's the chapter that's it so we will stop it here head to the spoiler section where we have much more to talk about so we will see you on the other side of the spare kill the spare all right we're back with the spoiler section of weighing of the wands and we're ready to talk more about wizarding alarm class we are not going to talk more about i mean we can (laughs) but i don't know how much there is to be said about a wizarding alarm box. Uh, you know what we can talk about, though? Hmm. Emo Harry. Yes. Because while well, he's had moments in book two in Chamber of Secrets as being a little like, everybody hates me, emo. Yeah. Which was justified. Yes. A lot of Harry's emo-ness is justified. Yes. As much as people like, like to harp on it. <laughs> uh, but this, I feel like, is really the beginnings of true emo Harry. Yes. This, to me, feels like the beginning of his arc 
that carries over into the next book that really starts to... This is personally what I find to be the most annoying arc in all of the Harry Potter Okay, books. you're one of the ones that... I am one of the ones. My thing, though, is not... Like, I don't think that it's unjustified for him. I understand why he's being emo and why he feels like everyone's against him and why, you know, it's... He's repeatedly being disappointed by people in his life and I know that that takes a really emotional to be toll killed, on like, someone. every year. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. also, like, the whole brushes with death and stuff, like, totally can mess with your psyche. I like, like how you just brushed off brushes with death. That's good. I mean, but, so, I mean, I get it. You know, he's under a lot of stress. Um, but it's really... Of the century. But there's something that's just, it's so frustrating to read him not be able to actually sit down and, like, work it out or like talk to someone like he he pushes he isolates himself so far from listening to anyone like he gets into this mode of like i'm right and everyone else is wrong and everyone else is always wrong and no one ever listens to me and i'm not gonna the the most frustrating thing about all of that is where is when he goes well i'm just not gonna tell anyone because no one listens to me anyway and I understand it, and I know he's a teenager, and I know he's had a really hard life and stuff, and I do fault the adults around him for maybe not trying to uh, develop a deeper relationship where he feels like, you know, he can trust them. So I understand it, but it's just it's so obnoxious to read because it's really like if you just had, like, two conversations, you would fix all of these issues. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I know, um, I know... I am pro therapy. I know you are pro therapy. Yes. I know Anna is pro therapy. I think everybody Everyone on our podcast, in our podcast is pro therapy. Is very pro therapy. It's beneficial. It helps whether you're uh, a man, a woman, wh- whatever your personal s- circumstance or scenario is. Yeah. Doesn't matter gender or background yeah. or whatever have you. Therapy helps. The brain is an organ. Yeah. You go to the doctor for other ailments with your knees or you go to the optometrist for your eyes you go to a therapist for your brain it's just another part of you we've talked at length about how not only harry many characters in this series need real therapy everyone like substantial real help the wizarding (laughs) world as a whole and there doesn't just there just doesn't seem to be that there no you never hear mention of it nope not even a little bit and it's a problem and i think a lot of what comes of it is when you're thinking of Harry and you're reading Harry going through all of these emo emotions and you can get annoyed by them. You're like, oh man, this is redundant or this is stupid or there's an easy fix here, here, here. Yeah. And I was, I actually gave this a lot of thought through this chapter um, when I made the note about the beginnings of emo Harry. And I'm like, it's easy to think that as readers when we're reading about Harry and how he's going through this and is he being successful with how he's traversing it. And then it's another thing to actually have those emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, you know, when I'm anxious or I'm depressed, I don't see those outlets. That's the point of being, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you, like, someone else might look in on my head because we're looking in on Harry's head through these books. Someone else might look into my head and be like, dude, come on. Like, what are you thinking here? But I think the thing that I find frustrating about it is that Harry does have that support system, and they do tell him this, and he ignores them. 
That is 100% my problem with, with Order of the Phoenix. It's not that I don't understand why he's in a place that way. It's his just, he shuts everyone out. And they're, the whole book, they're trying to tell him other not even what's that he's wrong but just trying to get him to see another position and he's just so against considering anyone sure. else and that's the thing that i it's just it's a sore thing for me because it's it's just you have the answer right in front of you and you're just blatantly ignoring it and it's like could you should just just consider it just consider it and then reject it and that's fine but he just won't even talk to anyone about it and then he's yelling at everyone and it's just like it's too much for me can i uh can i toss something your way sure uh we've talked about how like okay for example harry's ability to reject the imperious curse mm-hmm. or to resist it yeah that's a better term to resist the imperious curse and you and i have specifically talked about his ability to maybe resist vila uh attraction yes um, and I think I brought it up last time. It's like, well, there's that little thing in him, that part of Voldy, that part of his soul. Yeah. That might factor in and might be like a thing in the back of his head. Because Harry said with the Imperious Curse specifically, voice in the back of his head was like, hey, why are you trying to jump on the desk? Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Maybe that's Voldy knocking in and being like, what are we doing? Uh, we know Tom Riddle. Not have a great childhood either. No. Uh, real rough childhood, orphanage. Felt like a loner. Felt like he was in his own little sphere of reality. No one really liked him, even though he played the charmer. Yeah. A lot of that was just fake. So, my question then is, do you think yeah. <laughs> that the, the piece of Tom Riddle in Harry, especially as we get into book five... Yeah. Where things are starting to get a little bit more heated, a little bit more real. Voldy is now actually back. Yeah. And a presence. Yeah. So do you think that piece of Harry's soul is also being like up another notch of like, hey, and influencing his emotions and his thoughts and his anger and his all of that? I think that there's an argument to be made that it could be. Um, I personally don't think so. Why? Um, I want to, just like I want to give Harry credit for being able to detect and fight off the Imperious curse, um, I also want to address the other side of that coin, which is I do think that he just doesn't know how to handle his emotions Okay. Like, I, I feel like it goes both ways. It's like, it's not, I don't think that Voldemort's giving him any additional power, but I also don't necessarily know that he's, like, the reason why Harry's being a little emo Harry for these books. I mean, uh, the, uh, the other part of this is, you know, I, I do like to point out that he is 14 and 15 here. Yes. Uh, and we were all emo idiots. I, I was going to say, Jen, I've known you for a minute. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> and um, and I look the high school versions of us. <laughs> oh God, were not maybe as up to up to you know the knowledge of hey we can reach out to a school counselor or we can reach out to a therapist if we need it. Yeah, like we are we're adults now. We we understand that there are avenues that we need to take. Hundred percent. If we need to feel that way. Yeah. As a 14, 15-year-old kid, I don't know. I probably was more like, 
this is stupid. I'm going to sit in my bedroom and just glower for, like, just frown and be in myself for, like, however long. And that's just going to be what it is. I feel like maybe this is something that's more specific to me with all of this. But, like, I feel like I'm the opposite of that. And it's not like I was an emo in high school. I was emo as heck in high school. Um, But it was more of, like, I think that I have a tendency to over-listen to what other people are telling me um, when it comes to things that influence how I look at things or how I'm feeling or whatever. So it's just, I think that that's why it's troublesome for me when you spend, like, this time and, and Hermione in this chapter is trying to be like, talk to him, you know that he wants to be your friend, you know that'll, you know, get over it essentially, and he's just like, no. And it's like, it's it's hard because if Hermione was doing that, if Hermione was just like, I understand how you feel and you talk to Ron when you're ready and he spent the whole rest of the chapter complaining about it, I would be a lot more sympathetic to it. It's more the fact that like people are trying to help him and they are trying to give him the answers and they are trying to be an outlet for him and he is just not having it. And that, I think, is inherently the part that... Well, that and when he yells at Hermione in the next book. I don't like that. But other than that, that's really the part that just drives me nuts it's like you have a bunch of people around you who are trying who are actively trying to help you in in all of these situations and and every single one you're blowing them off like that Mm. i find hard i understand why he's emotional (laughs) everyone's emotional when they're like 14 and 15 but i think that that then the other side of the coin for that is that's also why i think uh i really like half-blood prince is because he's finally being involved with these people and he's finally talking to them and he's finally getting answers and he's fine like you know the, the very end of order of the phoenix is so raw but so like satisfying because he's finally telling someone how he feels and why he's upset and dumbledore is finally telling him what's happening and then they actually work together oh my god and that's why like that's why that book is so like satisfying to me it's uh, just that they finally it's a whole book where harry's functional i uh just as dumbledore essentially in so many words says in that part of that conversation in order of the phoenix it communication is a two-way street like yeah harry is at fault 100 percent. yeah dumbledore's made some mistakes 100 percent. i'm not trying to turn this into a complete defense of dumbledore but it's not my point is that it's not just dumbledore in these books it's hermione it's serious it's mrs weasley it's Ron. Sometimes it's, Ron. Yeah. Uh, it's it's everyone. Ever Lupin. Everyone. Everyone is. I like Dumbledore doesn't factor into the next book obviously because he's making a mistake, like a huge mistake, by not trying to be involved. But like everyone else around you is trying to help you. Why are you not listening? To, just pick one. Any yeah. of them. It's. Uh, we just went through a whole lot of Harry's psychology. We did. We went through a little bit of our own psychology. This is. We're we're. Uh, we're working through stuff on the we're, podcast. Yep. We're getting through it. We're being raw. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have anything else on Emo Harry before I move on to the next that one? Was, that was my Emo Harry rant. Okay. I feel a lot better now. Good. Thanks Good. for letting me get that out. Uh, you know, this is our own version of therapy sometimes. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so we were talking a lot about wands in the non-spoiler with, obviously, the laying of the wands. And I did have a wand thought, and I know you have a mm-hmm. wand thought on Harry. Go ahead with your wand thoughts first, and I'll get to mine. Okay, so my wand thought, actually, I was thinking of you when I thought of this question. Oh, really? Yes, because of what you exactly just brought up about five minutes ago. 
Oh, did we think of the same thing? Maybe we did. Oh my gosh. Did the wand that Harry has, that has the Phoenix core, mm-hmm. that shares the Phoenix core with yes. Voldemort's wand, yes. did it pick him? This is exactly the same thought I had. Yep. Exactly the same thought I had. This is amazing. Yep. I love it. I love it when this I happens. told you, I thought of you when I wrote it. I was like, Dan's going to love this question. Yep. Well, you're exactly right. Yep. So what do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I had never considered that before, even with all of the, and I, and I, and I kicked myself for it Yeah, because it's right there. Yeah. It's right there. Yep. And all the conversations I have specifically had on this podcast about how <laughs> the part of Voldy's soul in Harry yep. might be influencing things in Harry's life. Yeah. And I never actually used the wand as an example, but it a hundred percent is an example of The that. irony of this being, I think, that this is the strongest example of it, like, by I far. I wouldn't argue that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much connected. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And no. I kicked myself hard doing these notes, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> how did I not put that together earlier? Yep. But for whatever reason, it clicked in my head. Darren, you're right. That is crazy that we came up with the same thought on it. That's awesome. Okay, so now I have one other spoiler thought. Well, now I don't have any more thoughts on it, so go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I want to go back to Snape being a jerk with this. Mm -hmm. So I know that this is also a very polarizing topic in the fandom. Is whether or not... I love polarizing topics. Is is whether or not at the end of all of this you think that Snape is redeemed or not. Oh, it's a very broad boy. thing. Obviously, you're going to get into it in the future books because it becomes a lot more prominent and stuff. But the, I just wanted to go on record and I just wanted to make a point for this to say this, I personally, I... I, I That's I, a big question. No, it's a, and it's a loaded question and there's yeah, a ton of, ton of other things to dissect. We could do this, a whole like two-hour episode absolutely. just on that question. I, I'm sympathetic towards Snape and all the things we find out about Snape. And I think, you know, the movies did a really good job of making it sympathetic. And they've got, you know, the whole scene that they, that he Alan has Alan Rickman adds a lot of oh, that. Oh, he stuff. really, he does. Um, but I, I, would, I would also like to point out you're currently wearing our Slytherin yes. shirt that we have. Yes. <laughs> so. Very excited. I had to rep the podcast when we're recording the podcast. Appreciate it. Um. And I, I've always liked the scene in the, in the book too. I thought it's written in a, in a, you know compelling way i like the reveal of it you know like all of that it's well written for it, sure, yeah. it really is um but this is why i don't think that he's redeemed not in my eyes because you can't I, like i love the build-up <laughs> that you just had to knock it just all crush it completely. that was beautiful yeah well you know I, it's not that i haven't considered all of these things but i just i want to go on record for this this is exactly why i don't think he's redeemable because you can't discount the fact that this guy's just a jerk to children who don't have anything <laughs> he, they're not related to 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 any of his tragic uh uh unrequited love past and sacrifice and resentment of Harry for complex reasons. Like, that's all understandable. But you can't go around insulting children. And he doesn't even have the excuse here that it's Harry. That's exactly. It's Hermione, which he doesn't really have Right. Honestly, strong opinions either way, other than she's annoying with her hand raising all the time. Right. But I mean, the absolute worst that you could say is that it's by association that she and Neville are in Harry's general vicinity, but he's noted to be a jerk at other times. Here's a question for you. Yeah. He makes he makes fun of Hermione here horribly. Yes. Would it be better for you? Yeah. If still made fun of Hermione the way he did. But also made fun of Goyle for his particular ailment here. No. Would it? 
So it doesn't make it better, but does it make it worse if he would? Okay, now that's a good question. So I don't know. My, th- my thought process on that is like, let's, I, so I work in a school, yeah. and there's banter back and forth. There's always banter. Yeah. And yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw shots at some kids, because I'll hear kids going, you know, ban- mm-hmm. like the men's soccer team will be like, wow, you lost that game Saturday. And I'm like, I'm sorry, how many games have you won exactly this year? You know, that kind of banter. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw some shots. At, at some yeah. of the kids, obviously not as mean as I was about to say. Here. I feel like that's very different than like. Granted, yeah, but there's some shots, and yeah. um, but I distribute evenly. <laughs> yeah, if Snape was to make fun of Goyle the same way he made fun of Hermione and split the difference and be like, no favoritism clearly showed, would that make it better? I don't think, the... or would it make it worse because he made fun of two kids now? I. I honestly lean more towards that. I don't think the favoritism bothers me that much. Really? I don't think I don't think the favoritism is good by any means, but I also get it. Like sometimes, like maybe he I just connects more with them. Like, favoritism has to be the only reason why he makes this comment, right? Because otherwise, I don't think he cares enough to honestly make the comment. I kind of took it the opposite way of like this is just how he normally is, but he's just like doesn't do it to his favorites. Like, I feel like his default is to be a jerk. Well, okay, so you asked me, is Snape redeemable? The pro-Snape side would argue that Snape has also, this entire time, been looking out for Harry. And while making comments at Harry, has also saved him on several different measures in many different, very dangerous ways. Yes. So there's that. The irony of this is that I actually don't have that much of a problem with his behavior towards Harry, only because we later find out that he is just like, A, he's done good things for Harry that Harry just doesn't know about, right. and B, that he's got this really tragic past and unrequited love with, you know, and then the whole thing with Alan Rickman in the movies where he arrives and he's holding her in her arms and sobbing and all this stuff. So That's it's like, a little bit okay, dramatic, but yeah. I, It is, but, you know, so like... <laughs> You know, I, so I think that the ending kind of repaints and recontextualizes his interactions with Harry throughout the Certainly. series. Yes, I have a massive problem with the fact that he is just a jerk to other people. Uh, do you think part of that is? I know he he enjoys being a teacher at Hogwarts. Does he? Oh, that's my question because a lot of his trauma from his childhood yep. happened. At Hogwarts. So yeah. now you're literally putting him in the scene where a lot of his issues yeah. came from. And he's literally reliving a lot of his issues, especially when you put Harry Potter in his face. Yes. But think, little triggers, like Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws doing, you know, uh, childish pranks or whatever to each other. I'm sure that might trigger something in him. Yeah. Somewhere. Because, again... He is one of those characters that we mentioned needs real therapy. Like he needs real help Badly. to unpack a lot of this. Yes, and he doesn't doesn't have it. Right. Oh, which you know is a flaw in the system, yes. I guess itself. So, how much do you blame Snape for some things, and what is in his control and what isn't in his control? think if you're going to be in a position that deals with children and you can't handle being around children, you probably shouldn't be around children. I, I, so I love these conversations. I, I, love, I, I love these conversations 
because I got so much flack in Prisoner of Azkaban for saying Trelawney gets too much flack. And here I am sitting with a person who has a Slytherin emblem on her shirt, proudly. Yep. And says Snape should not be around children. I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, Hey, I discriminate equally. So so in theory, maybe like half of the Hogwarts staff needs to be reassembled? Probably. Like, who are we down to? Like, McGonagall and Flitwick? Pretty much. Sprout can go. Like, she can stay. She she can stay, yes. Okay, so we've got three, four, and three out. Yeah. Snape, Trelawney, and... Hagrid, probably. Yeah. As much as... He can be groundskeeper. That's fine. Bins stay there. Go, Bins can go on that list. Uh, stay? No, go. Go? Well, he can't... I mean... He's just not good. He's not good, but I mean... He's not troubled. He doesn't know the history well, because he's fair. literally he's, existed through it. He's definitely more neutral. He's like the most neutral I give you neutral. I give you like literally yeah. 50-50. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. Uh, we should make up some sort of chart for this. I'm sure there's some <laughs> Venn diagram that can work for this <laughs> somewhere. Uh, that was a sidetrack. Where were we? <laughs> it was. No, that was just, I wanted to go on a rant about why I don't think Snape ever gets fully redeemed, because he's a jerk. Uh, like you said, we'll have much more conversations on oh, Snape, yeah. and we'll probably have to have oh, like a whole separate Snape episode to really unpack and deep dive into this, because I'm sure... You know, you have thoughts, I have thoughts, Anna, I'm sure, has thoughts. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their two cents on stage. I can't wait until Half-Blood Prince. I am happy you can't wait until Half-Blood Prince, because that's not many people's favorite book. But I don't understand how, but... Anyway. Okay, I did have a... Did you have anything else? I am done. Okay, I had one question. Okay. And so help me, I'm going to get it on this podcast <laughs> before I forget about it again. So... <laughs> This is my fault. I forgot about it when we were talking about it, much like Harry's wand being connected to Voldy. <laughs> anyway, so we were talking. I'm so honored that I got to witness that moment. I know. It's a rare moment when I can actually remember this. So Anna and I were speaking about, uh, and Elizabeth and I, both, uh, us three in our episodes, were talking about <laughs> Crouch's curriculum. Okay. And him teaching students what the unforgivable curses are, how to an extent, like, what they look like, and mm-hmm. the actual feel of them in, yeah. in the uh, reference to the Imperius Curse, specifically. And we were like, ah, does Voldy really want people knowing how to potentially repel an Imperius Curse? That seems counteractive to his overall goals. And my question that I thought of randomly while editing one of these episodes was, does Voldy prefer Harry to be weaker or stronger? as a wizard. And here's my thought process behind that. Obviously, weaker means, in theory, easier to actually kill, which is his goal. Yes. Uh, but at the other the other side of the spectrum, if Harry was stronger and showed himself to be a prominent, talented wizard, that would inherently, I guess, make Voldy seem better? Because, A, you... As, in Voldy's mind, you assume you're going to beat him and you actually want to beat like a Dumbledore-esque wizard, a Grindelwald-esque wizard to put a little check mark on your resume kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but also, that incident when Harry beat you as a child <laughs> doesn't seem as like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, if he grows up to be like a skilled, prominent wizard like a Cedric Diggory 
kind of wizard, you're like, it may, maybe makes more sense instead of kids going like, that kid? That kid's the one? Which I think is essentially through his first couple of years here, that's what people are saying is like, yeah. how did that kid do what he did to Voldy? That guy lost to a baby? Uh, yeah. So then my question is, does Voldy prefer Harry to be weaker or stronger? I think that that's a really good question. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would hazard... I Can I... I'm going to cheat this question. Uh-oh. I think that he wants Harry to be the strongest that Harry can be, but only if it means that he can still beat him. Okay. I, I So... Like, we're in the spoiler section. Yeah. Later on, yeah. when Harry rebukes Voldy a couple of times, yeah. even his own Death Eaters start to look at Voldy a little sideways like, dude, this is like a 15-year-old kid. This is a 16-year-old kid. Why, why can't you do this? Yeah. What is going on with you? Yeah. So you even start to see a little hint of... Cracks in them. Yeah. So... Maybe Voldy does want Harry to be a little bit of a quote-unquote challenge? I think that he wants Harry to, to yeah, like what you're saying, to kind of be a challenge, to show, like, flashes of greatness, and then for Voldemort to just shut him down. Like, I don't think it's in Voldemort's favor to have a prolonged fight with Harry, because I think that, by nature, does because Harry is stronger and able to hold off Voldemort, I think Voldemort looks worse in comparison. But I think that Voldemort wants it to be something where it's, oh, look at this wizard who, you know, clearly he had flashes of greatness. He was able to produce a a Patronus charm, but look at how much I smacked him down. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's one of those. I don't think he wants him to be, like, super weak where he's, you know, like, not able to defend himself at all. Right. Because then it's like, oh, what's the fun in that? But I think he wants him to be maybe give, like, one or two solid uh, attempts back at Voldemort, and then Voldemort just unleashes some insane thing and then just winks Harry out of existence. I think that's his ideal scenario. Because, I mean, I don't think Voldy... Even if Harry showed himself to be a Dumbledore-esque wizard in the making, yeah, I don't think he would fear. I don't think he fears anybody. No, I know it's been stated a couple of times in the book, and will be stated several times more in the book that he quote unquote fears Dumbledore. Yeah, I don't even know that he really fears Dumbledore. He respects Dumbledore, and he like considers him the peak, like the pinnacle. I don't know that he fears anybody. I feel the exact opposite. The exact opposite? Yeah. I don't think he respects Dumbledore, but I think he is scared of Dumbledore. Oh, I think he, I think he puts Dumbledore on quite the pedestal. Like that's what wizarding is. Because all the the stories he's told, and he's always been one up on Voldy and Tom Riddle. And you know, he's always been that like step ahead. Always. I feel like Voldy definitely, I probably feels a bit insecure next to Dumbledore. I'd say Tom Riddle feels insecure generally. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> but I don't know that he would ever actually acknowledge that Dumbledore is better than him. No, no, I'm not saying that. Okay. In his own head. Right. He would probably think that. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. He'd never say that okay. out loud. No, I never. just, I don't, I guess, I, I could see where he he would I just respect don't think he him, but not... him. Okay. 
Because he, tr- I mean, he tries to go against them. Yeah. He feared him. He would try to avoid him at all costs. Which I know they state is like people viewing Voldy is like, oh, he's trying to like as long as Dumbledore is here, mm-hmm. we're safe. Right. I think it's like I don't think Voldemort wants to have to fight Dumbledore, and I think that that is why it's construed as him being afraid. I don't think it's like a fear fear. Like, I don't think it's like a he sees Voldemort and he like panics and has to like peace out. But I think that when he goes against Dumbledore, there's a lot less confidence on his end. And I think he wants to always feel like the most powerful in the room and he can't when Dumbledore is around. And I think he wants to minimize the number of times that he has to do that. I guess I'm coming at it from... I think he wants to be that top dog. Yeah. I think he wants to be the one. Definitely. That guy. Yeah. Dumbledore is currently that, that guy. guy. Yeah. And how did Dumbledore get to be that guy? He knocked off Grindelwald. Yeah. Right? And that was like his defining moment. That's like his world stage. I am here and I am the best. Okay. And I think Voldy kind of looks at that as like, I kind of want that. Yeah, but then he doesn't even go after Dumbledore. He, I mean, he doesn't not go after him either. He, like, in five, in the in the department, not in the Department of Mysteries, in the Ministry of Magic. Yeah. Well, I guess the same thing. But in the in the Ministry of Magic, yeah. Dumbledore is there. It's not like he's going, well, I'm going to just moonwalk myself back into this. Right. <laughs> like, no, yeah. he's like, let's go. Like, he'll, this is time. I think that he'll fight him when he has to, but I think he doesn't want to fight him. And I think that that's why people say that he's afraid of Dumbledore. I don't think that he's going into that... Uh, with any sort of bravado or any sort of confidence. And I think that if he's in a situation where he has to, he's going to try to show him up, but that's why he doesn't take him on to kill him. That's why he sends Draco to do his dirty work. I think it's like, well, he put Draco in an untenable situation. I think that was more the point of anything, is just like putting Draco in a real bad spot (laughs) and just seeing how he dealt with it. Yeah. More to punish Lucius than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair take on that. But I don't know. I just see... He actively seeks out Harry to try to kill him. He does not seek out Dumbledore. I think coming from a strategic point of view, yeah. I think Voldy, if he was to fight Dumbledore, ideally wants to fight him on his terms. Yeah. He does not want to fight Dumbledore on Dumbledore's terms. Right. So it's like a strategic thing. Like as long as Dumbledore is sitting up at, at Hogwarts, maybe Voldy views him as he's got that advantage like a territorial advantage and he needs to draw him away. That's so maybe a, why he fought him at the Ministry of Magic. So instead. he's scared of fighting him at Hogwarts. Being strategically wise isn't fear. It's knowing that, well, maybe he's got an advantage there. He's surrounded by pupils. He's surrounded by staff. He's surrounded by a lot of protection. Yeah. If I get him where I want him, I have a much better shot. But he doesn't mind attacking Hogwarts. I call that fear. He doesn't mind attacking Hogwarts when Dumbledore is not there. He had a lot of support. He had an army. (laughs) He had a full-blown army. Do you think he does that if Dumbledore is there? Yeah, because I think that's his endgame. Interesting. Okay. That's his Thanos versus Captain America endgame moment. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, like, I don't know. Even if he did fear Dumbledore, that's one out of however many wizards there are in the world that he'd be like, 
Maybe I gotta think twice before I go up against him. No, right. I think he thinks he's better than... I think he thinks that he's better than everyone. I just think he thinks his odds against Dumbledore are a lot slimmer than anyone else. And I think that's why he's much more... Does thinking twice mean fear? Or does thinking twice be smart? Can it be both? It could be either. <laughs> I think I I I, I Word think it play. Could, I think it could be I think it could be a little bit of both. Like I get what you're saying about you do want to be strategic when you're going up against your enemy, but I do also think that he does You you don't want to be an idiot either and just be like right. charging in to a situation that's not advantageous to you. Right. He's always been very we could just call it cautious around Dumbledore. That he is not cautious around other people. There cautious is something is a good word special about Dumbledore to him that makes him think twice. I like and some cautious. people say that that's fear. I would be one of those people in that camp. But if we can't agree on that, we can at least agree that he's cautious. I think cautious is a good word. And that is where we should end this particular podcast. We've talked a lot about a lot of things, gotten into the weeds a whole lot. Uh, I and, think this was pretty solid. Yeah, we didn't think we had enough to talk about. <laughs> no, we thought this was going to be maybe a little on the lighter side, but uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to all of our back and forth. Uh, oh, we did. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We do have a shout out to, oh, right, to make. Oh, right, right. I am so sorry. Uh, the shout out uh, is for Daniel Gomez at DGMZ012. It's DGMZ, I guess, 012. Um, on Twitter, who was commenting on our Chapter 15 episode. It was Bo Battens and Durmstrang. And uh, his comment was, Awesome episode. I agree with the Moody Crouch being a curious wizard. In, in, uh, that was in regards to him teaching like uh, Harry the Imperius Curse and being like, Oh, yeah. you can kind of resist this. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, I feel, uh, uh, he goes back to say, I feel like he tested the curses on Harry to see if he could survive slash resist the other two. Little twerp. So, yeah. He also just recently started the series again himself on audiobook, uh, which is awesome. So we hope you stick with uh, this podcast and kind of let us know what you thought of this conversation. Because goodness knows we took some interesting opinions on a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> so... Let us know what you and uh, and everybody else kind of thinks of this episode. Uh, please comment on Twitter and Instagram and, and let us know. And you'll probably end up on one of these telling, you know, me or Jen how wrong we are or how right we are. Hopefully how right we are. Because <laughs> I look forward to you all agreeing with me. Yeah, I'm sure more will agree with you than me, <laughs> per usual. But anyway, with that, we will end the episode. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with chapter 19 next week the hungarian horntail that's not ominous at all no <laughs> we'll be back next week thanks for listening guys thank you for listening to hogwarts a podcast if you like what you've heard please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on twitter and instagram at hogwarts a podcast